You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, last week we kicked off our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This series is going to be pretty long. It's probably going to be about 20 to 25 weeks. And we are going to go verse by verse through uh, one of the greatest sermons ever preached by the man himself, Jesus, called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to Revolution, what we like to do the majority of the time is go verse by verse through books of the Bible or large sections of Scripture like the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, our student pastor, Pastor Brandon McKenzie, kicked off the series and preached an incredible sermon, y'all. Come on, let's honor him. Absolutely crushed it. Somebody right after the service said, man, if you'd preached that passage of Scripture, it would have taken five weeks, not 50 minutes. And I said, man, I don't know how he got through all that. He did so good, man. I'm not long-winded, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we'd had to break that one up. But preached an incredible sermon. We'll be referencing it several times today as we go through this. But today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and look at verses 13 through 16, the next passage of Scripture. And I'm going to preach on a passage today that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard this preached on before. I I dare say that this sermon has sort of been overdone, but the question we're going to answer today that Jesus is going to answer for us is, how do Christians have influence in a world that has gone completely mad? And in this, Jesus is going to use two domestic metaphors that everyone at his time understood, and everyone under the sound of my voice today, you'll completely understand. We're going to see Jesus really teach us that we're to be salt to a world that is in a constant state of decay, and we're to be light in a world that is filled with darkness. Now, if you were here last week, if you weren't here, you got to go catch up because it ties directly into what we're talking about this week. If you were here last week and you heard the Beatitudes preached on, And that left you with the impression that life in the kingdom of Christ and following Jesus is somewhat passive. What we're going to see Jesus clarify today is that way of thinking is completely false and completely wrong. In fact, what we're going to see today is life in the kingdom and living for Jesus is not for those that are weak because we're supposed to be different than the world and it is very difficult. If we review the last couple of verses from the Beatitudes, I'm going to read them here in just a second. We're going to see how these tie into and and really overlap with the passage we're going to look at today. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 because it really does go right into uh, the teaching on salt and light. Remember what it says. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed heaven, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus really, I believe, when we tie this part of the first passage into what we're going to talk about today, is really talking about how when we're persecuted, no matter what it is, there is a tendency to draw back away from whatever it is we're being persecuted for into a protective shell. And so in the context of what we're speaking about today, that is our faith and our beliefs and following what Scripture tells us. We go into spiritually a fight or flight syndrome. 
And most people in those instances choose flight and get into a defensive mechanism and they stay quiet or they quit living what the Word tells us to do. Jesus is getting ready to say, don't run, don't retreat, but engage the world around you in this teaching on salt and light. Let's read the first couple of verses. Matthew chapter 5. Let's read the first couple of verses starting in verse 13. Everybody with me? Say, I am. He starts out by saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So the first thing Jesus tells these believers that are listening to this incredible sermon that he's giving is be salty. Look at your neighbor and say, be salty. Now find somebody else around you that you don't know and say, you're already salty, you know? The idea that he's giving is those who follow Jesus are the only salt that this world is ever going to taste. Now salt in biblical times was something that was extremely expensive. There are records of Roman soldiers not being paid in gold or coin, but being paid in salt because of how valuable salt was. And the reason is, is because there were five functions for salt. Number one, it was used to preserve meat. Number two, it was used to add flavor. Number three, it made people thirsty. Number four, most people don't know this, it served as a detergent to clean things. And number five, it caused healing in cuts and wounds. If we go through that list and look at these individually, the first two, let's combine. Jesus is telling us first to be salt that purifies and preserves. As I said, salt was used as a detergent for clothing. Salt was also used at this time because this was pre-refrigeration in order to preserve meat. But the use of salt as a purifying agent directly overlapped with the use of salt as a preservative. And the reason was salt preserved things because it first purified things. Now, Pastor Brandon last week gave us an incredible definition, really in-depth definition, as we went through the Beatitudes of what uh, purity was last week. And if I could simplify that definition just for my brain this weekend, what purity means is our talk has to match our walk. The things that we say we believe need to be played out in our life and come to reality in our lives. And so what Jesus is saying is a pure life brings power to our witness, which we're going to talk about later, and the proclamation that Jesus is the King. See, the world, in this metaphor Jesus is using, what it's telling us is the world has a constant tendency to deteriorate and destroy itself. And much like meat in the day needed salt to be introduced from the outside in order to preserve it, as it pertains to the world, Christians who are the salt of the world must be introduced from the outside in order to preserve it. So the role of a Christian is to stop, and really we can't stop it, but we hinder the decay in the world and the process that it's going through. Secondly, and really that was the first two. Thirdly, we're to be salt that adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. That's what we're supposed to be in this world. Some of y'all that are sitting in here right now, before you even taste your food, you salt it. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that you? Raise your hand. You sit next to somebody that does that. Like they hadn't even tasted the mashed potatoes and they got to salt it up. My dad is a salt addict. He's so bad that when we go to a Mexican restaurant, when they bring the tortilla chips, he calls them tortilla chips. It's kind of funny. He salts the tortilla chips before we even eat them. And we always make fun of him because we're like, the salt falls to the bottom of the tortilla chips. What are you doing? But he's such in a habit, wants that extra flavor, that no matter what it is, he absolutely will salt it. The notion here is that the world is completely tasteless, but Christians make living in this world much more palatable. The idea is Christians should make the world better around them, not worse. Our influence should make things better around us, not worse. We see this all over the world right now. When you look at any type of uh, organization that helps people, almost exclusively every single organization around the world that helps people and makes the world a better place to live in at least started as a Christian ministry. Christians have always been on the leading edge of taking care of orphans and widows. They've always been on the leading edge of of starting ministries that help people adopt kids. Always on the leading edge of helping people medically around the world. Christian organizations, even though some of them don't look Christian today even necessarily, they were started as Christian organizations that were meant to be salt in the world. This is why at Rev Church, we do that. You know, we do things like we take care of the schools in Cumberland County. You know, we, we've prayed when we started. We bought that land over there, and we thought we were going to build on it, right? And it was right next to Stone Elementary, and one of the reasons God had us do that, because obviously we're not building over there, is because we were supposed to start taking care of schools in Cumberland County. Right now, we take care of three schools, and we sink a lot of money into it, and we do everything we can to support the teachers and do everything we can to support those kids. And we told God when we started it, we were like, listen, our prayer is one day, that we have every single school in Cumberland County. We wait for them to reach out to us, but when they reach out to us and need help, we're going to help them. And if, even if it's not our church that's doing it, because of our influence, maybe other churches are doing it. And we've just told God, if we got every school in Cumberland County that we're caring for and we're taking care of and we're trying to make it better, trying to make it a better place than a worse place, God, if it's your will, it's your bill. You're going to have to give us the money to do it. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. This is why every single year... With the bread of life here in town, the mission here in town, we cut a huge check as a church, and no different this year, even though we've got a facility that we're paying for. We're going to cut a huge check to the bread of life because they make the world better around them. We have groups that go down there several times a month to help them because we're supposed to make the world a better place. We're supposed to make this world much more palatable for people to live in. This is why we do student ministry. And every single student volunteer will tell you that their groups that they're over are mainly compromised of what we would call church orphans. In other words, they've never been in church, they don't go to church, and we do everything we can to provide a place for them where we can love on them and teach them the Scripture. This is why Revolution Church is a place for no perfect people. It's a place where if, you, if people come, like, here's the deal, you need to understand this, okay? If you've been in church a long time, you need to understand everybody's jacked up and everybody's got baggage. And in the church, we've done a great job at looking at people that have been divorced and saying, well, you got divorced. You're worse than anybody else and God's done with you. 
And in the church, we've done a good job at taking somebody that's lived a life not for God, and maybe they're a senior, and they get saved later in life, and we look at them and go, well, you only got a few years left. There's nothing we can do with you now. In the church, we've done a good job at looking at young people and saying, you're too crazy. Your ideas are nuts. We don't want you. You're spilling too much stuff on the carpet, so get out of here. Well, Rev Church is the place where we want everybody to come with their baggage. You know why? Because we're supposed to make the world a better place around us. We make it more palatable for the people around us. We are salt in this world. The question this weekend is, are you preserving and adding flavor to the world around you? Are you making things better for those around you? Or are you a terrible employee that never shows up on time? You're one of the reasons the boss has to go take migraine medication. You're lazy. Are you a person that gossips all the time? And people know, don't tell them nothing because the whole town will know. Are you a person when people see you coming, they go, oh, great, here comes Josh. <sighs> Drama. Always so negative fussing about everything, complaining about everything, never has anything good to say? Or are you a person that when people see you come and they go, man, I want to talk to them. I love talking to them. Do you have testimony in your life of making things better for those around you? Being salt that adds flavor to a world that is rotting away. We're supposed to add flavor. Fourthly, we're supposed to be salt that causes thirst. See, when disciples of Jesus live out the countercultural principles of the Beatitudes, which Pastor Brandon made extremely clear, it's completely countercultural to the way we're supposed to live today, today, according to the world. People in the world take note and they see us and they go, How do they do that? How are they having joy in the middle of their suffering? How are they being a peacemaker in the middle of a culture that's so divided? How are they holding their tongue on these issues? How are they serving those kinds of people when they know they don't disagree with them? In other words, man, that makes me thirsty for what they got. Because if they got peace, I want peace. If they have fulfillment, I want fulfillment. If they have purpose, I want purpose. We're supposed to cause thirst for the living water Jesus Christ. People should look at us and get thirsty. Jesus is saying this. Maybe this will help us understand. We're supposed to be like peanuts in a Pepsi. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. If you've never done this, when you leave today, go get a Pepsi or a Diet Pepsi, get a pack of peanuts, pour it inside it, and drink the Pepsi and eat the peanuts while you drink it. It'll make you slap your mama for not telling you about it before. I'm telling you. It's one of the best things ever. You know why? Because the salt from the peanuts mixed with the fluid from the Pepsi is a perfect combination. The salt makes you thirsty. The Pepsi quenches your thirst. This is what Jesus is saying. Christians make you thirsty. I want some liquid. Jesus Christ, the living water, quenches their thirst. Does this make sense, everybody? Say amen. It's like a, a well-seasoned steak. 
steak. I'm talking a cow's been murdered steak. Amen, y'all. Man, I, I could never be a vegan. If you're a vegan, we love you, but you're missing out, bro. You know what I mean? That's been seasoned like crazy. How that goes and pairs with a tall glass of, what y'all think I'm going to say? Sweet iced tea. Okay, I thought some of y'all would say beer, but you know what I mean? Non-alcoholic beer. But uh, yeah, tall glass of sweet iced tea. The seasoning on the steak is so good, but you got to have that sweet tea that you can run your car off of. Y'all know what I'm saying? To quench your thirst after every single bite. That's Christians. Christians are salt that make people thirsty for Jesus, the sweet tea, the living water. Fifthly, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, we're to be salt that heals. I'll simply say this. Probably most everybody, if not everyone in this room, has been to the beach at some point and been in the ocean. And isn't it interesting when you have a cut and you go get in the ocean for several days, that cut heals a lot quicker because the salt heals it. I've talked to people that have psoriasis, that have eczema, that tell me, I love going to the beach because when I go to the beach for a week, my psoriasis completely clears up. My eczema completely clears up. The salt water heals it. This is what Christians do. We bring healing to the world, not division. We bring healing to people's lives, not judgment. We bring healing. We're to be salt that heals. Why do we do this? Well, Jesus makes very clear when he backs this up by saying, because salt, saltiness can be lost. One commentator says this, salt is good as long as it maintains its integrity. However, salt in the ancient world was susceptible to becoming contaminated and impure. Salt could lose its taste and its saltiness could not be restored, Jesus says. Now, let me make a side note right here to make something very clear, and we're probably going to repeat this almost every single week. Jesus here is not telling us how we get right with God in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was preached to people that were already right with God. And it's instructive in how we're supposed to live our lives after we meet Jesus. So in other words, you don't be salty so God will love you. You be salty because God has already proven His love for you, if that makes sense. And so you are saved by grace through faith. You surrender your life to Christ. You repent from your sins. In other words, you stop living the way you want to live and start living the way the Bible tells you to live. That's how you're saved. You put your faith in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. The Sermon on the Mount was written in a manner or preached in a manner that was preached to believers after they've put their trust in Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Christ after Jesus. Let me make that clear because some people would argue with that. So the message is clear when it comes to saltiness. If you lose your saltiness, how are people ever going to taste godliness? And it can be lost. I like the way Jesus put it in Luke chapter 14. He puts it like this. Same teaching, but listen to what it says. It makes it a little more clear. It's much more visual uh, interpretation for us in our heads. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. If you lose your saltiness, you're not even fit for the dung pile. Look at your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. So, 
In other words, if we assimilate too much into this world and we become indistinguishable from the world, we lose our saltiness. In other words, what Jesus is teaching is something that you'll find all through Scripture, that Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be distinct. The Bible uses this kind of language. Christians are called to be set apart. Peter says it this way. Christians are called to be a peculiar people. You know what that means? The world looks at us and thinks we're a bunch of weirdos. Now, for real, look at your neighbor and say, you're a weirdo. Churches and ministries for years have said, let's look more like the world in order to reach the world, but that doesn't work because we're called to be different. And I'm not talking about things like wearing a t-shirt versus a suit. I'm talking about moral issues, taking a stand, being salt in this world. We're called to be different. See, the influence we can have doesn't come by being just like the world around us, but by being different than the world around us. So Jesus is saying, don't compromise. Don't be seduced by the strongholds that the world offers. Don't be seduced by materialism. Don't be seduced by politics. Don't be seduced by love for the world. Don't be seduced by foolishness. Don't be seduced by your own agenda. Don't be seduced by greed. I love what Lloyd-Jones says. This is a great quote. Listen to what he says. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're identical to the world, you might as well be discarded. Or let me put it another way. If you're identical to the world, you probably don't know Christ. Because you cannot find one example in Scripture in the New Testament where someone meets Jesus and looks exactly the same after they meet Jesus. They look completely like the world. They always looked different. So Jesus, when He says this about Saul, is saying, be pure, be useful. And He's speaking on the inside to our righteousness and how it plays out on the outside. And again, Pastor Brandon, incredible definition of righteousness last week. But if I could reiterate the definition we gave during our spiritual warfare series at the end of last year, righteousness, because it really splits off into two parts, the righteousness you get from Christ that makes you right with God and saves you, and then the righteousness that you do in your deeds on this earth. It simply means this, being right with God. So either way, that definition works. So make sure you're right with God. Be salty in a world that's gone mad if you want influence. Then he starts talking about light. Look what he says in verse 14. Y'all with me? Say, I am. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus now switches from salt and he says, be light. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, brighten up. Brighten up. Some of y'all got the stink face on right now, man, you know. 
book of Proverbs talks about your countenance. You know what I mean? And if you've got resting Grinch face, you need to work on that if you're a believer because your face kind of shines bright. It's supposed to. Y'all know what I'm saying? In other words, those who follow Jesus are the only light this world is ever going to see. Now, this is speaking to our witness. Okay, so salt is all about your behavior and how on the inside you need to be righteous and how it changes your behavior on the outside. Light is all about how your behavior is perceived by others. And he gives us two things, really, that we're supposed to do when he talks about light. Number one, he says, stand tall. Shine clearly. Stand tall. Light doesn't do any good if it doesn't shine. Think about this. In the Old Testament, light was used figuratively and metaphorically and explained in several different ways. It stood for revelation. It stood for instruction. It stood for hope. It stood for joy. It stood for righteousness. It stood for salvation. And it stood for what one commentator says is the radiance of divine presence. That's what light represented in the Old Testament. In a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, it said this about Jesus, the Messiah, that would come, that he would be a light for the nations, and he would be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And now Jesus, before this, makes this incredible declaration and applies this same image to every single believer. What an unbelievable affirmation to the individual worth and mission of every single person that puts their trust in Jesus. This was a big deal to the people hearing this sermon because calling someone light was a title that was reserved for very prominent people of the day. There were certain rabbis that taught in such a way and were so holy and followed all the law that people referred to them as the light of the world. And now Jesus is preaching a sermon with his 12 crazy messed up disciples and all these followers and saying, you are going to be light to the world. What an incredible and intense responsibility. He doesn't say, one day an angel is going to come and bring light to the world. He doesn't say one day there's going to be a prophet that comes and bring light to the world. He says, you guys, the ones who have put their trust in Christ, you are called to be light in a dark world and illuminate the darkness around you. One person said it this way about this part of the passage. Those who follow King Jesus reflect the, later, the greater light who is Christ, and in doing so, point others to him. Let's point something out here just as a side note. I didn't know if I was going to say this, but I said it first. I feel like I need to say it here. When Jesus gives this example, he talks about a city on a hill, and then he talks about a lamp that's inside a house. And so don't miss the simplicity of this. The first place the light shines is in your own house. Everybody with me? In other words, don't get so caught up in dead religion and religiosity that you do what, let's be honest, the greater majority of Christians in America do where you show up on Sunday morning and you walk around saying, bless you, and nobody sneezes. How you doing? I'm good, brother. You're talking in Christianese. But when you get home, you treat your wife like crap. You treat your husband horrible. You treat your kids terrible. When you're alone and nobody's around, that's the definition of integrity. What do you do when no one is watching? Um, 
Your walk doesn't match your talk. See how these are tied together? So the first place it starts is in your own house. First place it starts is individually inside your own house. Jesus is talking, though, about a small oil lamp of the day when he talks about this. So again, don't miss the simplicity here. He's not saying that every Christian has to be a laser light show. You know, we do our Christmas light show. Can you all imagine what the Christmas light show is going to look like this year? I mean, I've been having dreams about it. Jeff's been sending me mock-ups of it. We've been talking about it, haven't we? It's just like, what are we going to do? We're losing our minds. We can't wait for Christmas. But anyway, you don't have to be that. That's not the kind of light he's talking about. A Christmas light show tuned to 88.7, and you've got thousands of people that come watch your light show for Jesus. No, he's not talking about that. You don't have to be that. Uh, just also to back that up, he's not saying be a strobe light either. And off and on, like I said, the hypocrisy thing. You know, you're off during the week. You come on on Sundays. You're going to give people a seizure if you do that, okay? You ain't helping nobody. Everybody with me? Say amen. Don't be a Christian dimmer switch. Levels. You're shining bright. You're standing tall. You're standing for him and shining your light. Secondly, after he says stand tall, he says share it with others. Clearly, when he talks about light, he's talking about our witness to others. Don't hide it. He says, be a city on a hill, be a lamp in a house that's centered in the house for everyone to see. So God intends for his grace in your life to be as conspicuous as a city on a hill. I flew into New York City a couple months ago, and a couple years ago, I flew into Las Vegas, and I couldn't help but think about this example, uh, this when I was reading this, but... Uh, when I flew into those places, it was nighttime, and hundreds of miles away, you could see the lights of Las Vegas and the lights of New York City. That's the idea here. I know that's being up in the air and looking down, but think of a city that's on a hill like a New York City, like a Vegas, with all those blinking lights. For hundreds of miles, you could see it. That's what we're supposed to be. People are supposed to look at us and say, golly, something's shining there. Something's different there that they're sharing their light with other people you know uh i've learned in talking to married people that uh there are two kinds of people in a marriage and i'm not going to say that this is what happens in my marriage um but if it was to happen in my marriage the person that would do what i'm getting ready to describe would not be me it would be my wife but i'm not saying she does this okay Don't look at her. You make her nervous. Everybody starts looking at her. When I say something crazy, you look right at her. Oh, well, how's she going to react? There's the kind of person that when they wake up before their spouse in the morning, they get out of bed real easy, and they tiptoe through the bedroom. And when they get to the bathroom, they shut the door, and they're careful when they're getting their stuff that they're going to shave their face with. Again, it's not about me and her. And, and when they take a shower... And when they put their deodorant on and all that stuff, you know, they're very, very careful. But then there's the kind of people that when they get out of bed, the first thing they do is they get on their phone and watch TikTok videos for 15 minutes as loud as they can, even though the person next to them is asleep, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say, say amen. There's usually one in a marriage. There's always one, right? You know, they get out of bed and throw the covers off of the person next to them. The first thing they do is turn a light on. And out of everything you could do, the noise isn't that big a deal, but once you turn a light on, that's when the person says, 
What are you doing? Can you be quiet and turn the lights off? Why are you being so loud? I'm trying to sleep here. Once the light comes on, it's what wakes you up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. I love you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. See, we argue about who does that. She says, I do it. And I say, no, you do it. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. Listen to what Paul says about us being a light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There's that salt, righteousness, right? And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. In other words, don't be gossiping about all the sin that other people are doing. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Exposed by the light becomes visible. Hang on to that. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise. I like the way the NLT puts it, not as fools, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, when our light is shining, people wake up. They wake up out of this sleep of lostness and death and decay. You guys know that old song, probably one of the first songs you ever learned. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Say it with me. How I wonder what you are. Perfect example. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, something shining over there. How I wonder what you are. Why is it shining? Why is that different? How do they have light? I'm standing over here in the dark. How can they see what's going on around them, but I feel like I don't have a clue? How's their light shining? How do they have purpose? What's going on with them? Jesus is what's going on with them. Jesus is saying that a righteous life and a bold witness are an unstoppable combination. Now, let me say this just to really close. Um, almost close. I'm real close. And I really am. I'm not lying. Um, when it comes to salt and light, I want you to consider this. Have you ever seen somebody get pranked and somebody unscrews the salt lid and then when they pour the salt, try to shake just a little on their food, the whole thing dumps out all over? That's what some Christians do. You're ruining the meal that Jesus is trying to have with someone because you're dumping all the salt. You know those bug guns that you can shoot insects with with salt? We saw one at Walmart the other day. Some of y'all got one of those guns and you're shooting people right in the eyes with them. You need some salt, pow, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, get away from me. I'm never going to church again. You people are nuts, you know? Same idea with like a light. Jesus is talking about an oil lamp. He's not talking about a one million lumen flashlight that when somebody first wakes up and they're wiping the crust out of their eyes, you shine it right in their face. You know what I'm saying? We illuminate the darkness around us, if this makes sense. We, we expose the things around for people to see. We don't make them blind, in other words. See, if you're a Christian in here, 
and you really love Jesus, then you probably are walking around this world right now thinking to yourself, what the heck is going on? Now, Christians have said this for generations, but right now, in America, and and this is no different than some previous cultures, but in America, the wheat and the tares are being separated. I mean, used to, it was like, should we watch The Lion King? I don't know. Now it's like gay eight-year-olds in kids' movies. Black and white. Man, I'm not telling you to boycott Disney, okay? But the world has lost its ever-loving mind, y'all. I'm going to show you something. And just understand, this is why we have Rev Kids. And if your kids are in here, you should have sent them to Rev Kids Ministry because they're going to be asking you questions in about 15 minutes. I went to Target a week or two ago. And I just like wanted to see. I was just like, man, I'm not telling you to boycott Target. We've always loved Target. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what I've seen. In Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay, y'all, now listen to me. When we think of this stuff, we think New York City, man, they're crazy up there. Chicago, wow, they're wild up there. Boy, we got to get out of California. All these people moving over here, they must be nuts. No, this is in the buckle of the Bible belt. I find this uh, one-piece bathing suit. Go ahead and put the first picture up. Here it is right there. One-piece bathing suit. And then go to the next one. Here's the tag. Here's the tag for the one-piece bathing suit. Can everybody see that? Say amen. Do I need to read it out loud? Okay. It's designed in such a way to hide something. I'm trying to be tactful here (laughs) and not make it awkward. Take it off, please. That's too long. Okay. Look, we love people. Here's Here's where it comes in. Being salt and light in a world that's so clearly lost its mind. How do we do that? Because you don't hate people. They're blind to trespasses and sins. They're walking around in darkness. They don't see anything around them. So how do you love people but hate that kind of stuff that's demonic, that's wrong? I can't give you specifics on what to do in every single situation. All I can tell you is this is why you have to lead a spirit-led life. Because there is a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. There's a time for correction and there's a time for servitude. There's a time where you just love people and build relationships and let them know you're there for them. And there's a time where you have that hard conversation and say, I'm concerned that one day you're going to end up in hell because you're completely lost. This is salt and light. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Amen. We're not trying to offend anybody. We just believe the Bible here. There's so many great people that I know. There's there's so many great people that are Christians whose kids are struggling with a worldly culture or whatever, and we try to be sensitive to that. But we are called, first and foremost, to be salt and to be light. When we first bought the theater, the first day we moved in, Staff was like a bunch of little kids running around in there, man. We were so excited. I think that's what you texted me, Abby, the first day we got the keys. But they had everything packed up from here 
And I think they were in the parking lot at like 4 a.m. that day, just waiting to get into the theater after we closed. Well, it took us a while to get the keys to the theater. And uh, we didn't get the keys till probably between 12 and 2 o'clock. And uh, when they got the keys, they ran around and were so excited. Uh, I know you guys are excited too to get in there. Is anybody else excited? Say amen. It's hard for me not to talk about it a lot. No, church is not a building, but boy, God has blessed us. Amen, y'all. And I just can't be quiet about it. So anyway... Um, uh, one of the first things that every single person said when they first walked in within 10 or 15 minutes was, man, it's so dark in here. We got to lighten this place up. So one of the first things we did was, let's figure out how we can get this place painted a lighter color. We ordered these light bulbs that had a gajillion lumens on it in the, in the uh, uh, lobby that like lit the place up because we were like, we need some light in here and we've got to lighten this place up. This is what the church does in the world. We walk out and we go, it's so dark out here. Man, there, there's so much addiction. There's so much divorce. There's so much pain. There's so much baggage. There's so much hurt. There's so much sexual sin. There's so much hurting out there. We got to figure out how to mobilize and lighten this place up. We need some coats of paint on the wall that are a little lighter. We need... We need to add a few more light bulbs to the church so that we can shine just a little brighter. Because don't forget, a whole bunch of oil lamps together shines really, really bright. By ourselves, we're not much, but together, when the church mobilizes, that's when we shine the brightest. Make sense, Rev Church? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I pray for every single person in here, God. I'm a pastor, and I really have a hard time relating to people. Um, I don't live with a job that requires me to use pronouns and do trainings where I could lose my job if I don't do it and uh, wear rainbow shirts. And if I don't, um, I could lose my job. But there are people in here that live in that world. And when they decide to be salt and they decide to be light, they're going to be persecuted. The enemy is going to come in like a flood. If you live for Christ today, the majority of the people are going to think you're a bigot, a racist, that you're homophobic. This is the issue we face today. What, what a passage of scripture for us to land on in the first weekend in June, God. Thank you for that. I don't know how we talk about salt and light without addressing this. Because this is the issue everyone in this room is facing. I pray for strength, God. And I pray that we remember this passage that no matter what, we're called to live for you. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is heaven. And I pray that we keep in mind the rewards that we're building up while we're here when we live for you. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.